Amen. You be seated. In 1948, a remarkable religious phenomenon occurred here in the United States. And since most of us were probably not alive then, we probably don't know a whole lot about it. It began in a small tent near Hollywood, California, outside of Los Angeles. And it was under the preaching of a very young evangelist. The crowds at first were pretty sparse, not a whole lot of people, but every night... As he preached, every night as the word of God went out, people began to get excited. And people would go home and they would tell their friends and they would tell their families and they would uh, tell everyone around. And so they would, as they would go home, they would the next night bring people with them. And then the next night they would bring more people with them. And before you know it, the crowds had expanded beyond what the tent could hold. And uh, the tent was small. It started out being able to hold about 2,000. They got a tent that would hold 6,000. And eventually they had to get a tent that would hold 9,000 people and on many nights in this tent outside of Hollywood there would be people gathered that didn't fit inside up to 10 and 12,000 people a night and as uh, word of mouth spread people began to come even Hollywood celebrities came some were converted and as as news began to spread people began to take notice God was up to something God was doing something it was supposed to be a three-week meeting ended up being eight weeks a little over eight weeks and as the newspapers began to go and find out what was all the fuss, you know, today, 10,000 people gather. It doesn't sound like a big deal. In 1948, when 10,000 people were gathering every night, it was a big deal. And so the reporters were showing up and writing stories about what was happening, about this phenomenon, this young preacher. And they described it this way. They said there was this skinny, strange young preacher who was dressed in off-green suits with red flaming ties. Now, you have to understand, in 1948, it was very conservative. Everyone wore dark suits, and everyone wore dark ties. And so all of a sudden, there was this skinny preacher up there in a green suit and red ties, and they said he had this incredible southern accent that people could barely understand. And yet there was this incredible appeal, according to the reporters, to people, this incredible draw to people. That strange southern speaker ended up speaking to over 350,000 people in those eight weeks. And of those 350,000 people, there were at least 3,000 converts. An incredible move of God. And as word got out, other cities began to invite this young man to come and to speak to their cities. And that was the beginning of Billy Graham's public ministry. Started in a little tent. 1948 in Los Angeles. And just like what happened in 1948 in the first century before the time of Christ, there was a young man that was a little different, talked a little different, dressed a little different. He didn't wear green pistachio suits. Matter of fact, he wore crazy camel hair, which, you know, camel hair is back in fashion. So I guess he was before fashion, but he wore camel hair and he ate locust and he ate honey. But yet there was something about him as he preached that drew crowds. It started out with dozens of people coming to hear him preach. And then all of a sudden there were hundreds of people coming to hear him preach. And before long, there were thousands of people coming to hear him preach. You see, he had the same draw that that young southern preacher did in Los Angeles. There was just something about him, something charismatic that drew people to him. 
And as people were drawn to him, it began to get reported and people began to talk about it. And finally, the religious leaders in Jerusalem said, we've got to figure out what's going on with this crazy, wild preacher in the desert. We need to understand what's going on. And so John records what happens when they send some uh, religious leaders to go investigate John the Baptist out in the desert. And I want you to listen as, as this story is recorded. It says, now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely, for I am not the Christ. They asked him, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John the Baptist said this, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am a voice of one calling in the desert. I make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees had been sent, questioned him again. Then why do you baptize if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, or if you're not a prophet? John replied, with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, for he is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And this all happened in Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, John was known as John the Baptist, not because he was a Baptist by faith. He was known as John the Baptist because he baptized. Now, John's gospel earlier on tells us in John chapter 1, when John gives us the introduction of who Jesus is, it tells us a little bit more about who John was. Listen, John chapter 1, verse 6. For there came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning the light. So that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came as a witness to the light. For the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. You see, John had a message. John had a task. John was called to lead people to Jesus. He was called to help people get prepared, matter of fact. And many people consider him the last Old Testament prophet. John the Baptist. He was called to help prepare people's hearts so they might be willing when Jesus showed up to hear Jesus' message. He was laying the foundation. He was paving a way to Jesus' heart, towards Jesus' message and towards Jesus' ministry. Listen how Matthew describes what John the Baptist was all about. And this you may remember a better description of what we think about John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3 In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, and he was saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. Again, he quotes Isaiah 40, 30. For a voice of one calling in the desert, preparing the way for the Lord, making straight paths for him. Now, that's important for us to remember. John's clothes were made of camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. And people went out from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan to see him. They were confessing their sins, and he was baptizing them in the Jordan River. Now, John had an incredible ministry. Luke's gospel starts a little earlier. And so if you remember from Luke's gospel, uh, am I losing it? So do you need me to pick up this mic? Tess, there you go. Now I'm going to feel like an evangelist myself carrying a microphone around. Let me move this. Now, if you remember in Luke's gospel, he, he tells a little bit more about John the Baptist. If you remember from the Christmas story, Luke begins when John was born. Uh, you may not remember this, but John was a relative of Jesus. We know that Elizabeth, his mom, was Mary's cousin. And so in, in Luke's gospel, he talks about how John's parents 
were, were blessed to have John. And you may remember Zechariah, he was working in the temple in Luke chapter 1. And uh, they were older couple and the angel of the Lord comes and says, you're going to have a baby. And remember Zechariah says, we can have a baby. And because of his unbelief, he was struck mute. He couldn't go tell everybody. It was a curse on him. Because uh, what's worse than a father that had been without a child forever, all of a sudden to, to be with child, his wife to be able to have a child, and he can't tell anybody. So uh, they were blessed. And I, I want you to see what the angel of the Lord says about John the Baptist before he was born. In Luke chapter 1, he says, He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is to never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. And many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What an incredible prophecy. Before he was even born, the angel said, this child is going to do incredible things. Now, all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, synoptic means the same. They all tell kind of the same story. They all record that John the Baptist was the one who baptized Jesus. Jesus came to him and said, I want you to baptize me. And John said, I, I can. I'm not worthy. You need to baptize me. And, and Jesus said, no, you were predicted. You were prophesied to be the one to lead the way for me to be baptized. And so Jesus baptizes John. And the Bible says an angel appeared and there was a voice from heaven and the dove came down and, and sat around Jesus to signify his Messiahship, to signify who he was. Uh, Matthew and Luke's version tell us that John the Baptist was arrested. He was arrested by Herod, the same man who put Jesus to death. Herod uh, didn't like what was going on. He felt like John was stirring up insurrection, so he arrested him. And then we find out later in both of those Gospels that Herod's wife, uh, because John the Baptist was preaching against Herod's wife, that was his sister-in-law he was living with, he was calling her out. She wanted him dead, and so Herod's daughter, uh, on his birthday, tricked Herod into killing John the Baptist, and so John the Baptist is beheaded for his faith. Now, I've just given you a quick synopsis of who John the Baptist was. Uh, uh, a lot of stuff, what you may not know, is that Jesus one time in Matthew 11 called John the Baptist the greatest man born of women. Matter of fact, it says it in John 11, Matthew 11, 11, I tell you the truth, among those who are born of a woman... There has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's high praise. So we know a lot about John the Baptist. Some of you may remember from Vacation Bible School all that there is about John the Baptist. But what I want you to think about this morning, something that continues to uh, stick with me as I read all of these stories from all of the different Gospels about who John was and what John did, is what attracted people to John. Why were there crowds coming to John the Baptist? Why did it start with 10 and then 20 and then 100 and then thousands of people would leave their homes, go out into the desert and listen to this crazy guy preach the gospel? Because you see, it's important for you and I to understand because what was once John's job is now your job and my job. You see, John's job was to prepare people for the arrival of Jesus Christ. John's job, as we just read, was to help people's hearts Get ready for Jesus' message. And the Bible says that job, since John has passed, now falls to us. And, and the other thing that's important to us is, see, John's message is still just as relevant today as it was in John's day. So if his job is important and his message is relevant, 
then why were people attracted to him? You see, John's message wasn't an easy message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He was telling people, if you turn from your sins, you can have Jesus in your heart. If you turn from your sins, you prepare a way in your heart for Jesus to come in and forgive you and give you a new life. See, John's message wasn't a popular message. It probably uh, wouldn't be an easy message today for you and I to share. But John wasn't interested in being popular. See, John was telling people what they needed to hear, not what they wanted to hear. And those two things are sometimes different. But because his message is relevant and because his job is now our job, we need to ask ourselves, why were people following him? And probably even more important is, why are people not being drawn to us in the same way? What drew people to John? Was it his personality? You know, have you ever been around somebody that had a charismatic personality and you just wanted to be around them? Somebody that was just outgoing and somebody that uh, was funny or somebody that, that you were around. And when you were around them, you just felt better about yourself. And so you followed them. My, my roommate in college was like that. And he still has this charismatic personality. And I could never understand why people were drawn to him. But it was just he exuded this charisma. Maybe that was what John had. Well, tradition tells us that, that John was just the opposite. John wasn't outgoing. He was an introvert. Matter of fact, uh, he was strange. You can imagine if he's eating locust and honey all the time. He lived in caves. He lived in the desert. That's probably not somebody that would be drawn to him. So it wasn't really his personality that drew people. Maybe it was his clothes. You know, it says clothes make the man, right? Maybe it was his clothes. Have you ever been drawn to somebody because they were a sharp dresser? Now, the older we get, we don't like to admit it, but when you were a teenager, sharp dress, being sharp dressed was something that drew you to people, right? You would, you would see somebody that had the nicest clothes and they had the name brands and so you wanted to be with them, you wanted to be around them. Well, I, I doubt anybody wanted to be around a guy that wore a camel-haired frock with a belt around it. So it wasn't his clothes. So it's not his personality, it's not his clothes. Maybe it was his family. Maybe it was his reputation, right? I mean, his dad did work in the temple, but we don't hear anything about his dad, nothing about Zechariah and Elizabeth until uh, after he's dead, he's circumcised after his birth. We don't hear anything, the rest of the story in the Gospels about his parents. All we know is they were middle class. There was nothing about his heritage, nothing about his lineage that would draw people to him. So if it wasn't his personality, if it wasn't his clothes, if it wasn't his reputation, if it wasn't his family's lineage, then why were thousands of people following him? Well, I want to suggest to you it was the same reason that thousands of people over the last 60 years have followed Billy Graham. You see, what I want to suggest to you is that people followed him because he had a dynamic, a compelling, and passionate faith. This dynamic, compelling, and compassionate faith drew people to him. He was so passionate about what he believed that people were attracted to him. Have you ever been around somebody that was passionate about something? This time of year, we've got basketball going on and getting ready for March Madness, and they announced the teams today. And if you're a basketball fan, uh, maybe not if you're a North Carolina fan, but if you're a State fan or Duke fan, then uh, you're passionate about that team. All of us get passionate about our teams, right? You get passionate about something you read or passionate about a movie. And, and as you talk, you know, even if you disagree with somebody, sometimes you're attracted by the passion that they have. You see, John had a passionate faith that drew people to him. Now I want you to understand, having passion alone is not enough. 
Because you can have passion about something and it may draw people, but it won't keep people, right? You've known people like that that were passionate about something and you got attracted to it and you listened to them for a little while. And then after a while you said, eh, that's crazy, right? Or uh, I mean, you'd be passionate about Bigfoot, right? You can go out on and on and, you know, if you don't believe me, turn on the History Channel sometime. they got a whole show that is about these people that are passionate. Their whole life is about Bigfoot. Now, you know, for a few minutes you watch it and you start listening you think, that's pretty cool. But after a while, i got to turn it off. I, I turn it off. These people are crazy. Because, see, you can be passionate about something, but if there isn't truth, a compelling truth that touches people's heart, then that passion alone is not enough. You see, John was passionate. But he was passionate about the Word of God. He was passionate about truth. And that passion came out of his faith. And that passion drove him. And when people heard him speak, when people uh, listened to his message, they were drawn to it. Now, we've been doing this series called Found Faithful. In this series, we've been looking at characters, and I've been trying to give you some, some little tidbits of, of easy lessons that you and I can learn about faith to apply to our lives, some things that are practical, some things that you can walk out of here and say, I'm going to apply that to my faith. And this morning, I want to do the same thing, but I want to do it to understand what made John so passionate. What made him so compelling? He wasn't the the only one out there preaching. He wasn't the only one out there sharing. What makes Billy Graham so passionate? So compelling. Billy Graham is in the line of uh, of a lot of great revivalists, but there hasn't been anyone near him for the last 70 years. And probably there won't be in our lifetime. Maybe God will raise somebody up. But why can, can Billy Graham's messages, and, and even this last year when he did My Hope, if you watch it on TV and as he sat there in his 90s and began to talk about Jesus, there is something that is compelling. There is something that's caught up in his passion. John the Baptist had the same thing. What made him passionate? What made his faith compelling? What drew people to him? Now, before I give you what it was, let me just ask you this. Are people around you drawn to your faith? Do people that you come in contact with in your family and at your school and in your home, are they attracted to your faith or are they attracted to your personality or your clothes or your lineage or who you are, your reputation or your job? Or are they attracted to that passion that you have about Jesus Christ? You see, you need to ask yourself that. What made John so passionate? Let me give you two things. Easy things to remember. First of all, probably the most important thing that we see that comes out of all those passages I read is John knew what his role was. You see, John had a passionate and compelling faith because he knew what his role was. He knew that he was not the message, but the messenger. You see, he knew that he wasn't the one. They would come to him and say, aren't you somebody? Aren't you the Christ? Aren't you Elijah? He said, no, I'm not the message. I'm just the messenger. He said, don't look to me. There is one coming after me that I can't even hold the straps of his sandals. That's how great he is. You see, in this day and age of celebrity Christianity, there's a lot of people that follow people, and the message gets lost. We are so quick to jump on somebody. I I thought it was funny, and and I don't discount what he had to say, but at the Academy Awards, Matthew McConaughey uh, said a little spill and thanked God, and all of a sudden, 
Facebook and Twitter exploded. Matthew McConaughey, thank God. Matthew McConaughey must be a Christian. Matthew McConaughey. Now, I don't know whether he's a Christian or not, but there's nothing in anything else that he said or done that shows that he was a Christian. I've got friends who went to high school with him in Longview, and, and they said, no, his family's not Christian, and he hasn't done anything that's a Christian. But because he says, God, we want to jump on that bandwagon. Listen, there's a lot of people out there that talk about their genuine faith. Jump on that, because it's not about the person, it's about the message. John the Baptist knew, I'm not going to be so big that you look at me and lose the message. See, it's real easy for ministers. It's real easy for anybody that makes a stand for God and then is successful to start believing what people tell them. You know, uh, people start following a person instead of the message they're preaching. People start building their own kingdoms instead of pursuing His kingdom. It's easy to get caught into that. Let me just give you an example that all of you can relate to. Uh, You ever heard somebody give a testimony? I hear it all the time. People inadvertently... In their testimony, you say, well, tell us, tell us about your relationship to God. Tell us how you came to know Jesus. And maybe you've heard a testimony like this. They, they talk all about the B.C. days, before Christ. Man, they give you the gory details. I was this, and I did this, and I was in the gutter, and, and you know, I was doing all of these things. And they go on for 15 or 20 minutes talking about all the things that they did B.C., and then they come to the end, and they go, and then I met Jesus. Amen, that's it. You see, what happens is, while that may be an incredible testimony, the message is not all that you've done. The message is what Jesus has done. And sometimes we get lost in all of that. Sometimes we get so wrapped up into this idea of it's about me. No, it's not about you. It's about Christ in you. And John the Baptist knew it. And he let that share and come out of him. And because of that, there was this incredible passion that came out of him. See, you and I need to understand that we are not the message. used to have a preacher that would always remind me, he'd say, and I love the way he'd say it, he'd say, listen, I'm not the editor, I'm not the writer, I'm not the owner. I just deliver the paper. He said, we're just glorified paper boys, and don't forget it. Because he said, when you get wrapped up in trying to think you're the owner or the writer or the editor, you forget what the message is. And the message in my testimony is not what happened B.C. The message in John's testimony is not all that John could do. The message is when I encountered Jesus Christ, something happened. You see, John was fulfilled. John knew what his role was. He knew what he was supposed to do. Now let me just give you a couple of things that I think helped John stay on track with what his role was. A couple of things that I think are important for you and I not to get lost in who we are and what the message is. The first thing that we find in all of these passages is that John was filled with the Spirit. He walked in the Spirit. Now that's not something that's crazy out there. I know my charismatic brothers and sisters and and I have lots of friends that are in that realm and, and they talk so much about the Spirit but they don't really explain what it means to be in the Spirit. You see, to be in the Spirit means to submit yourself totally to God in everything that you do. It, it's nothing magic. It's nothing special. The Bible says when you received Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. And as we allow that Holy Spirit to reign out of us, as we give Him every area of our life, as we give Him all of our choices, we walk in the Spirit. And before John was even born, did you hear what the Gospel of Luke said? He was filled with the Spirit from birth. 
That means from the time John was born to the time John's head came off with Herod, he walked in the Spirit. You want to stay focused on a passionate message? You walk in the Spirit. Because in walking in the Spirit, you will stay humble. Because you will recognize that it's the Spirit that does it. Listen, when I get up here and speak, somebody says, well, you know, you've got a great speaking style. Listen, I don't want you to remember anything I say. Somebody comes up and says, well, Pastor, my, my wife is mad because she thinks you were talking to her last Sunday. Okay, have you ever heard a preacher sometimes and it felt like he was reading your mail? Right? Like he was at home with you this week getting your mail going, okay, that'll give me a good point. That's a good illustration, right? That's not the preacher. That's the Holy Spirit. And you see, when we recognize that it's not about the messenger, but it's about the message, the Holy Spirit begins to move. That's how it touches your heart. John walked. He lived filled with the Holy Spirit. The second thing is he pursued holiness. He lived a separated life. The Bible says that he did not allow the temptations of this world to overwhelm him. It said he lived apart so that he could be used. Holiness was important. The power of a passionate message is always a holy vessel. Now what does it mean to be holy? It doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean you've got all the answers. It means available when God's ready. When God reaches out. I used to give the illustration of a cup. You know, when I grew up, my mom thought uh, that jelly jars were perfect substitutes for cups to drink out of. Any of your moms used to use those old jam jelly jars? And yeah, I mean, our, that, was what, that was our china in my house. You opened it up, there were jelly jars. Now listen, it, you know, and I used to get them out and I'd go, this is a jelly jar, this isn't a cup. And she'd say, it works, doesn't it? And, and I can remember, you know, going out and mowing the yard and going out and doing stuff. And when I was thirsty and I opened the cabinet, I didn't care what kind of jar was in the cabinet or what kind of cup was in the cabinet. It could have been a goblet. It could have been a nice coffee mug. It could have been a souvenir cup from somewhere. Do you know what I was looking for? I was looking for one that was clean so that I could drink out of it. And you see, when God is looking for somebody that He's going to pour out His Spirit through, God is looking for somebody that has a message. He is looking for somebody that's available and clean, ready to be used. See, John said, I'm not perfect, but I'm going to separate myself so I won't be tempted to, that, that I become more important than the message. I remember reading that one of the first things that Billy Graham does when he goes to, to a new place and he's staying at a hotel is he has his people go in before him and disconnect the television and take it out of his room. I used to think, well, why in the world would you disconnect your television and take it out? Because he didn't want to be tempted to watch anything or see anything by accident that would distract him from being what God had called him to be in that town. See, some of you, the, the computer, the television stuff that you read. It, it is becoming a distraction to you from the message that God has poured into your heart. See, John said, I'm going to live separate. He didn't live in a cave in the desert because he wanted to, because he thought it had great climate. He lived in a cave in the desert because he didn't want to be distracted by the things of the world. He lived a holy life. He pursued holiness. He was filled with the Spirit. The third thing is he was uncompromising. Just like he was uncompromising in his life, he was uncompromising in his message. He did not water down what he was saying or what he shared depending on the audience. Whether it was people or politicians or religious leaders, he preached the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
And he paid the price. You see, he didn't worry. What are people going to think? And it wasn't a nice message. And people may not come to his church. And there may not be a crowd there if he preaches that message. And people won't like it. And people will be uncomfortable. He preached the message that God gave him, regardless of the consequences. And he faced persecution. He faced criticism. And he faced death. But he never compromised his message. You see, what makes a faithful and compelling, passionate message a faith that walks in the Spirit, that pursues holiness, and that is uncompromised. And then the last thing is that he was always submissive to the will of God. You see, just like you and I, before he was even born, God had a plan for his life. And as he walked in the Spirit, he submitted his life to that plan, even when it was uncomfortable, even when he didn't know what was happening, even when he didn't know where he was supposed to go. He was obedient. He submitted Himself. God, not my will but Thine. You see, what helped Him to stay in His role? It was that He walked with God, separated Himself, made Himself available, and said, God, wherever You lead, I'll go. John had a passionate, compelling faith because he knew his role. And the thing I want you to understand this morning is his role is now your role and my role. As one who prepares a way in the wilderness, as one who helps people's heart be open to hearing the Word of God, that is our role today. But that's not all he had. He knew his role, and the second thing and last thing I want you to hear is not only did he know his role, he understood his responsibility. See, John understood that he was responsible to introduce and point people to Jesus. John knew his responsibility wasn't to entertain. John knew his responsibility wasn't to be popular. John knew his responsibility wasn't to, to, to be friends with everybody. John knew that he had one responsibility. What, what he burned for, what he cried for, what he wept for was the souls of men. See, everyone that came to contact with John, his family, his friends, his followers, the crowd, they all knew that he felt responsible for them. You remember the passage I read earlier from John 1, 6? It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came to be a witness, to bear witness to the light so that all through him might believe. See, John knew that he had a responsibility to the world. And he was not going to be distracted from it. He wasn't going to be pulled away from it. Why were people drawn to John? Because he was drawn to them. He was broken hearted. He understood the consequences for their actions. He was compelled to go out and share the message. The Bible says he was a burning and shining light. That's how Jesus described him. He was burning to be able to get this message out. Wake up! Wake up! The hope for the world is not uh, politics. The hope for the world is not religion. The hope for the world is not the Roman Empire. The hope for the world is Jesus Christ, the one who is coming, the Messiah that brings grace and forgiveness and peace. Repent. Turn. Turn. You see, His message, His role, His responsibility now falls to everyone who claims the name Christ follower. See, you and I have now taken on that role. Listen, Peter says in 1 Peter 
always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Jesus' last words before He left the earth said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. And because of that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Acts gives it a little different. Luke says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you are to be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. See, we call those the Great Commission. Those are not suggestions. What Jesus was saying is as you live your life, as you go, is a better translation of Matthew 28, as you're walking, as you go to work, as you go home, as you go to your family functions, as you go to the fun things that you do, when you come to church, tell people about Jesus. Let people know that there is a hope this morning. Let people know they don't have to live in the darkness that they've been in any longer. You and I now are the messengers. This morning, we have a charge. We have a role. We have a responsibility. The question this morning is, who will be that voice crying in the wilderness? Where are the shining lights? Who will take up John's mantle? Who will take up John's role and John's responsibility at your school, in your home? your workplace in Watauga County who will stand up and go to the ends of the earth and say that's my responsibility and I take it seriously see John had a passionate and compelling faith that people were drawn to let me ask you again are people drawn to the Christ in you are they drawn to your faith when they walk away from you do they remember that you were funny you had a great personality? Did you had great stories? Or do they remember that you've encountered Jesus Christ and your life was never the same? Do people know? Do people see the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? You see, you and I have a responsibility much like John did. The question is, Are people being drawn to the Jesus in us? If not, why not? God gives us the ability to have a passionate and compelling faith. You say, well, pastor, I'll never be Billy Graham. You're not called to be Billy Graham. I'll never be Jim Elliott. You're not called to be Jim Elliott. I'll never be Billy Sunday. I'll I'll never be a pastor. You're not called. You have your own role. You have your own responsibility. Your role is to be the father and the husband or the child in your family that shines the light of Jesus to your family. Your role may be at that school or at that workplace or at that church for such a time as this so that you can shine the light of truth, a compelling faith. The question is, will we take up our role? Will we recognize our responsibility? I'm going to make it easy for you. Help you out some. Month from now, we enter into the Easter season. Many people are preparing right now in Lent. Uh, Lent is the 40 days of preparation for Easter. 
really Lent by tradition is a time of repentance. It's a time of preparing your heart. So it's exactly what John was preaching. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so in Lent, we're preparing our hearts so that we might fully embrace and understand the power of the resurrection and the power of the cross. Well, here's what I'm going to do to help you with your role and responsibility. On, on uh, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, those two Sundays, I'm going to present a very clear, very simple, very short, very easy presentation of the gospel. A presentation of what Jesus did at the cross, of the power of the resurrection. What I'm asking you to do is pray about who you're supposed to invite. Pray about who you're supposed to share with. I'm not telling you to go home and try to work up a message to go to work or school with. I'm just asking you to pray because there's somebody in your life you're responsible for. Somebody in your work that you're responsible for. And your role right now, while it may not be to personally witness, and that may come, all I'm asking this morning is that you pray. How can you invite them so that they might hear the Spirit message? You see, church, what I want you to understand, those that call the name Jesus Christ, Christian, Christ follower, we've been given the possibility to have a passionate and compelling faith. And when that is true, you can't help but have people be drawn to it. The only problem is, for that to happen, you have to get out of the way and let Jesus shine through you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. God, I pray right now, if there's somebody here that God has never experienced that type of love, that type of passion, that type of, of grace and forgiveness that John was sharing about, that God, they wouldn't leave this place without receiving You. That God, right now, right where they are, even if they've been in church forever, they're religious, God, right where they are, they would say, God, come into my heart and save me. Father, You move in might and power. God, convict us that we have a role. Convict us that we have a responsibility. Convict us that we can have a passionate and compelling faith exactly like John did. If we'll get out of the way and let the message be the message. God, we worship You. We praise You. We ask You to speak now. We ask You to convict us. Challenge us in Your name. Amen.